Moms, we do thank you. Now, if we had somebody that was missed in that handout, uh, let us know. We will get, okay, we will, uh, I think we've got some others over the office, but we, we'll make sure you get one. If, you'll get, if you're visiting with us, get your name, we'll get it to you. But it, uh, we apologize for that, but it's, we had to use the help we had on hand, and the rest of the help wasn't too dependable, so just, <coughs> Mother's Day is a great day. We're living in a changing world today. Motherhood, the American flag, apple pie, used to be known as their st- for the stability and nationwide appeal. Today, however, the price of apples is up, the flag seems to be down, and motherhood is abused greatly. Motherhood has fallen on hard times, to say the least. Television makes fun of mothers. Children often treat their mothers with scorn and contempt. And even many women these days ridicule the old values of the housewife and mother. Career-minded, liberated young women are admired and respected in our society. And motherhood is not even considered as an option by many young girls anymore. But we have a need today for mothers who will guide and guard the home. It's a high and holy calling and one with which much potential and great influence, either for good or evil, motherhood is a tremendous responsibility. If you're here this morning and you had a godly mother, then you don't realize how lucky you are. That's the bottom line. Because there's many that aren't as lucky as you. If you've got a mother that's still with us today, I would encourage you to let her know it today. I know we've got some visiting with us today. And it's let them know. Because it is a thankless job. It's a hard job. It's a job that never gets finished. Even after they grow to become adults themselves, they still are a mother first. Good mothers are the key to happy homes and, if I might add, to a great nation. Through the years, the mother has been the stabilizing force in the shaping of history. Several years ago, a nationwide survey was conducted by the University of Michigan. Thousands of girls between the ages of 11 and 18 were questioned regarding their personal and social ambitions. When asked what they would like to be in adult life, a surprising 80% expressed a desire to be like their mothers. That sort of surprised me, to be honest with you, <laughs> when I read that. But that's, I'm glad to hear that number, but it still surprised me. It's been said many times that no other force in the life of a son is as strong as the influence of a mother. Once again, if you were blessed and are blessed to have a godly mother, whether she's still with us or not, that's irrelevant. But if you had a godly mother, you're a blessed, blessed person. And you ought to be singing her praises on a day like this. No other force in the life of a son is as strong as the influence as a mother, has a stronger influence as a mother. The testimony of millions of sons bear this out. Napoleon himself 
me move this out of the way for just a second. Napoleon himself said, No other force in the life of a son is as strong as the influence as a mother. And the testimony of millions of sons bear this out. Napoleon again said, The future destiny of a child is always the work of the mother. I don't know what kind of a family you came from. I don't know what your background is. I know some of you, but I don't know many of you. But I can say this. If you had a godly mother, you're blessed because of it. We have some godly mothers in our crowd this morning. We have some godly mothers in our church. And they still, even after many years, contribute to the success of the boys and girls in this church. Even though they're not their own parents. Napoleon also said, let France have good mothers and she is bound to have good sons. The mother is one of the supreme assets of the national life, said President Theodore Roosevelt. Then he added, she is more important by far than the successful statesman, the businessman, the artist, or the scientist. That's a pretty good statement. Many famous men have been greatly influenced by their mothers. George Washington's mother was a patriotic and religious woman. Her son came, became the father of our nation, our first president. Walter Scott's mother was a great lover of poetry and literature, and he became one of the finest poets, poets our, we've ever heard of. In contrast to that statement, Nero's mother was greedy, lustful, and a murderess. He became one of the worst tyrants and mass murderers the world has ever seen. A mother has tremendous influence. Without a doubt, mothers influence their children for good or for bad, whichever it may be. So often the traits of the mother are passed on to the children. Children learn by observation, and they learn mostly from their mothers because they have more time to observe their mothers than anyone else as they're growing up. Susanna Wesley was a great Christmas, uh, Christmas Christian lady, a great Christian mother, despite of the fact that she had, this is going to make you cringe, ladies, 19 children. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. <laughs> Even though she had 19 children, she found time to give each child an hour's religious instruction every single week. She taught her children to love God and to honor the Bible. One of her sons, John Wesley, became the founder of the great Methodist church, still today. Another of her sons, Charles Wesley, was one of the most prolific hymn writers the church has ever seen. His songs are a heritage to church that we enjoy to this date. And both Charles and John claimed, and I quote, they owed a great deal to their mother. No less than Abraham Lincoln said, All that I am or all that I can become 
I owe it to my angel mother. What a tribute. We're going to look today at First, uh, first Samuel chapter 1. Now, I'm not going to do like we normally do because that's a long chapter. We're just going to hit, hit spots of it. But I'm going to ask you if you would to stand for just a moment. We're not going to read the whole chapter again. I promise you we'll have you out of here by 3.30. <laughs> but as we read God's Word together, first, uh, first Samuel chapter 1, and pick it up in verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better, better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat of the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul, Hannah was, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli, now remember, he's the priest at this time, he's the high man, as, he before, as she prayed before Eli, now Hannah spoke in a heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Then Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli said, Go in peace, and the Lord of Israel will grant your petition, which you have asked of him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, once again, we thank you today for, what, for our mothers being here. And Lord, for the ones that their mothers aren't, Upon this earth anymore, we just ask a special blessing for them. But Lord, we just thank you for what moms mean so many times. As we grow up, we don't even consider the long nights, the meals that she gives the last piece of chicken to one of the kids and says, oh, I wasn't hungry anyway. Lord, the little sacrifices that we don't realize that moms do over and over again even as we become grown adults. Lord, today let us recognize what this passage means and what it means to us and how we can apply this passage to your word. Go with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hannah is one strong lady. Now, I don't know if you know the story of Hannah, but let me just briefly bring you up to date on it. In the Old Testament that we just read, the passage we just read, and we didn't read, we didn't read half of it really, we see a beautiful picture of a mother. Hannah lived in a day when as a nation Israel was in bad shape. Now as I read this, I couldn't help but think a lot of America right now. Hannah lived in a day when the nation was in bad shape. The conditions closely resemble the corruption and disorder of today. 
The nation's leaders had failed. Gideon and Samson, the spiritual leaders, were nothing more than memories. Patriotism was almost non-existent. Morals were low. The heroes were all dead. And the prophets were not yet born. The nation was stumbling and a spiritual rebirth was desperately needed. Doesn't that sound like America today? But I want you to watch what he did, what God did, because God used a lady, a lady without any children, to begin to turn this nation around. Hannah, we're told, came from a little town called Ramathayim, Zophim. It was just a wide spot in the road. In fact, the largest thing about that was its name. It was that small little community. God had a mother, and he would eventually have a servant because of that mother. But the story of Hannah is so powerful when you see and realize what she did and how she did it. God so often uses little people of this world to bring about his divine purposes. And this is one of those stories. So it was with Hannah. The biggest thing, again, about the town itself is just a spot in the road was the, how long that name was. God would take this obscure lady, build her character through trials, through hardships, and use her to have an instrumental plan in his dealings with a nation. That's how important this lady is in the Old Testament. The influence of Hannah is still felt today in our churches. She was a great mother. Her story is an inspiration to mothers everywhere. There are three events in her life that show the greatness of this lady. That's how important she is. Number one, she prayed a prayer. Well, what's the big deal about that? We all pray prayers. The first event in the life of Hannah that demonstrates her greatness as a mother is her prayer. But remember, she's not a mother. She has no children. Hannah was a praying woman. She was a woman of sorrow, the Bible tells us. She had been denied the, growing, the crowning glory of every Hebrew woman to have children. I mean, that was important back in this day and age. The privilege of motherhood especially. She had no children of her own. She was childless. For years she had prayed for a son. She longed to take her son to Shiloh on the yearly pilgrimage to the tabernacle for worship. This lady was so dedicated that she looked forward to the time when she could go and worship at the temple. There wasn't a church ever on every corner like there is nowadays. She desired and longed for the time when she could not only go there for herself, for her rejuvenation, if you will, but she longed to take a son with her. But that's not all she did. Listen to what she does. The Scripture tells us that she was deeply disturbed. Now, that sounds bad in our modern day, but that's, let me share what it was. She came from a devoted but a divided family. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3 says, They went to worship at the tabernacle every year at the appointed time. Now, they didn't have, again, churches sitting on every corner. 
You couldn't go every Sunday like it is nowadays. They had to travel a great distance just to go, period. And she always got her family ready to go, her people ready to go. And they went to worship. But remember, she had no children. She was just by herself in that sense. There was not harmony in the home. Elkanah, her husband, had another wife. Polygamy was sometimes practiced in the Old Testament, if you don't know that. But it was a violation of God's principles. In fact, let me share with you. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 19, verse 3 through 6. Here's what he says about marriage. From the beginning, I quote from the Bible, Matthew 19, 3 through 6. It was God's design that one man should marry one woman and that they should remain married. That's God's desire. We know that doesn't always happen. And by the way, let me clarify something. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. But God's plan was destined for one man and one woman to stay married all their lives. That was God's plan. But we don't always follow God's plan, even Christians. In the the, uh, relationship, it was not a harmonious relationship. Elkanah had two wives. (laughs) I can just imagine the situation that went between two wives. I can barely handle one of them, but that, that we won't go there. But, but it's those who violate God's principles of marriage suffer the consequences sometimes. Sometimes in strained relationships. Just like even though God said that, this man had chosen not to abide by it. The relationship in Elkanah's home was severely strained. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6, that Panina, Elkanah's other wife, teased Hannah because of Hannah's childlessness. Hannah was in bitterness of soul, it said. In Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, it gives us Hannah's response, response to Panina's teasing. It was not a personal attack. She didn't attack her back. Now, this other lady, she attacked Hannah. And just gave her a hard time, kind of teased her because she didn't have children. And that was very important in this day and age. But I want you to see that she didn't attack her back. In fact, watch what she did. It wasn't a personal attack, but she began to pray to the Lord. Didn't that tell us something right there? We could all learn something from that lady. Instead of when something somebody makes us mad or says something about us, whatever... Our first reaction is to attack them. But yet, this lady was not your average lady. Even though it hurt inside, even though it was embarrassing, even though it was frustrating, all the different things we want to say about it, she began to pray. And oh, what a difference prayer makes when you get serious about it. She was a devout, godly, praying woman. And she turned to the Lord in earnest, a fervent prayer, we'd call it today. That's a great lesson for each one of us. Whether whether we're mothers or not, we still need to learn that lesson. When someone attacks you, instead of going on the attack mode, a true Christian should take it to the Lord and begin to pray about it. He knows exactly what you're facing. 
You're not facing it alone. Here was a woman who was totally yielded to God. Totally. In fact, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 7 tells us her desire for a son was so great that while they were at the tabernacle, she gave up eating to pray. She prayed with tears and she prayed with silence. She prayed silently. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 13 says her prayers were so intense that Eli, the high priest, now get this picture. Here's this, quote, godly man, and he hears this lady praying so intently, he thought she was drunk. Doesn't that say something about the priest? That he couldn't even recognize what she was really doing? She was praying so intently and so sincerely that the priest, the religious leader, thought she was drunk. He saw her lips moving and the tears running down her face. He thought she must be drunk in the temple. That says something to me about Hannah's dedication that even the high priest in those days of spiritual drought now could not tell the difference between devotion and drunkenness. Apparently he had never seen anyone pray with such fervor. And that's a sad statement of the spiritual climate of these days and those days. Hannah refused to let the spiritual atmosphere around her be the determining factor of her consecration to God. Eli's wicked sons ran the tabernacle. This is the, the ones that ran the church, if you will. Eli... Yes, he was the high priest, but at the same time, his own sons were corrupt. They were unaffected by things that go in the church. All the corruption around her. But she poured out her heart to God in prayer. Even in the midst of that chaotic mess called the temple this day and age. They were corrupt. Here was Hannah, just a simple woman from a small little spot in the road place coming to Shiloh, then the spiritual capital of Israel at the time, to seek the Lord in prayer. Oh, don't we sometimes need to get alone and say, God, let me just get along with you. I'm having this challenge. I'm having this problem. I'm so discouraged, whatever it may be, and just say, let me seek God's knowledge. Her dedication to the Lord and the faith that she evidenced made her head and shoulders above all else in the nation. She lived in a time when it was total corruption, even in the church. They were stealing. They were using it. They were abusing it and all the different things that go on. They were destroying the purpose of the temple, if you will. But get less what God's got in mind here. God was going to use her, this little lady from a spot in the road, little spot, town, God was going to use her to begin to turn this thing around. Don't think God can't use you, ladies. God can use you in mighty ways. God was to use her in a very great way. The second thing we see, we see the promise she made. As I was reading this, now I, I'll be honest, I tried to put myself in a mother's position. Didn't work too good. I tried to. But here is a mother 
A second event in Hannah's life that shows her greatness as a mother is her promise that she made. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 111. Listen to this promise. Now remember, she had been desiring and longing for a son for years. She had been harassed because she didn't have kids. She had had all these things facing her. But listen to this prayer that she prays. And you begin to see why God could use a lady like this. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. Then she made a vow and said, Now ladies, listen to these words. Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your male maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Now think about that, ladies. If she had a child, is what she's saying, that she would literally, not symbolically, but literally give him to the purpose of the temple. That's amazing. I mean, most mothers I know would fight you to the nail if you start to take the child away. Here's a lady that says, God, if you'll give me this child, I'll give him back to be used in the temple. Wow. Hannah's desire for a son was not just for what she could get out of it. She longed for a son, but she longed for a son that could be dedicated, that she could dedicate to the Lord. That's what she wanted. With the eyes of faith, she saw what God could do with a small child dedicated to Him. And she wanted a son, not to bring that glory to herself, but to bring glory to God. You see her motives? Her request was for a male child. She did not want just a healthy child, but specifically she said for a male child. Why? A girl would have sufficed if all she wanted was to stop Paninas from ribbing her a little bit. But that was not what Hannah's purpose was. Her motive was for asking for a male child. She wanted a child who could serve God by working in the tabernacle, and at this time, only a boy could do that. She had a desire for this child to be used by God, in other words. Yes, Hannah had plans for this boy. He would be God's child, not hers, not Elkanah's. He would serve in the tabernacle and work for God all the days of his life. Did you catch that last statement? She wasn't saying, well, I'll come get him every day and take him home. She was saying he will live there. He will be a child in that grove in that environment. Remember, Eli's sons were not good examples. And here's a mother taking her only child, if she had one, she hadn't had one yet, and taking to that temple and leaving there all of his life. He would serve in the temple and work for God all the days of his life. Furthermore, he would live the life of a Nazarite all his life. Now, just for your information, a Nazarite was a man who had taken a vow to serve the Lord and be set apart, especially for God's use. If you want to know what the requirements for a Nazarite is, Numbers chapter 6 tells us the requirements. 
I'm not going to read them all right now, but uh, it basically says, he would separate from wine and strong drink. In fact, he would not eat grapes. He wouldn't eat raisins or any other product of the grapevine. He would not shave his head or allow a razor to to touch the locks of his hair. And he would not touch any dead body or any other thing that would make him ceremonially unclean. He was to be holy, separated, fully dedicated to God. But ordinarily, this vow was for a limited period of time. But that's not what she does. She goes over and above. She says, God, if you'll give me a, a boy child, I'll give him back to you for all of his life. Hannah's son would be different. His dedication to God would be for the entire lifetime. It would not be a matter of choice for him. He would be dedicated before he would be old enough to even decide for himself. He was to be the Lord's unique possession, if you will. Many people today dedicate their children. And we, Church of Alabama, have dedications, nothing wrong with it by any means, uh, to God in infancy. Let's say somebody had a child, it was a year old now, and they wanted to dedicate him to God or her to God and so forth. And we would have a little service. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've done many of them. But what a tremendous faith that she played. She exemplified. It's interesting to note that Hannah assumed the responsibility for her son's spiritual welfare. Did you catch that? Hannah Hannah assumed the responsibility of how this young man would be raised. She had already committed God, you give me a son, I'm going to commit him to you. And she did it. Modern parents often are content to wait and let their children decide for themselves as they get older. They don't urge them or encourage them to accept the claims of Christ personally. What a tragic mistake that is. We need to be influencing our children as they grow up. I think one of the problems we have nowadays is because so many people decided themselves, well, I don't need the church anymore. But I believe with all of my heart that they will come back to it when they realize perhaps how mom raised them. And it may be years, but I believe they'll come back. And if their salvation was real, they never lose that part of it. Prayer always involves sacrifice. It was a greater sacrifice for her to promise her son But that's not the greatest sacrifice that this lady made. The greatest sacrifice is when it came time to pay that vow. Can you imagine having to pay that vow as a young mother? Hannah had prayed diligently to the Lord for a son. And God answered her prayer. God listened to Hannah's cry. He seemed to say, I have found my kind of mother. And now I'll have my kind of man that I need. He saw in Hannah what she could raise a son to me. And oh, how it changed things. He took this simple, uneducated, plain woman, nothing simply about her whatsoever, and all he did was answer a prayer for her. Hannah would be out of place among the wealthy, elite, She was not the kind that's listed in the society pages. 
But she made the VIP list in heaven when God honored her with a son. Hannah had made a promise to God. Within a few short years, the time would come for her to take Samuel, this little baby, During all those years that she nursed him and cared for him and loved him and watched him grow, she never forgot the commitment she made to God. Don't you know that was a hard commitment to keep? Hannah was made of the stuff which martyrs are made of. I can just see her on that morning when she finally, it was time. The Bible doesn't say she hesitated a minute. I can just picture her getting his little clothes together and maybe wrapping up a little bundle and so forth and has a stick across his shoulder and says, and by the way, it, uh, most of the time the, uh, the books tell us that probably he's around the age of five years old. That sounds old to us, but that was custom back in then. They'd be that young when they got weaned from his mother. And so here he was. He was even talking by now. And one morning he says, she says, Samuel, we need to get your stuff together. We're going on a trip. I'm sure like any little boy, all right, where are we going? Are we going to Disneyland? No, not quite. And don't you know that mother, some tears were running down her cheeks as she started putting those little clothes together, the little things, because she knew he's going, but he's not coming back. She was going to give him to God. Don't you know, moms, that was so tough. Even as a daddy, I can imagine it. How hard that would be. But for a mother that gave birth to this child, that had to be excruciating. But yet, notice, her commitment never wavered. She made a vow to God, and she intended to keep it. Her heart's both sad and glad at the same time. She occasionally looks down at little Samuel and listens to his Childish words, perhaps. She would miss him very much. But he was the Lord's now, not hers. Hannah gave Samuel up at a very young age. Samuel chapter, uh, Samuel chapter 1, verse 24 tells us. That he went to the temple to live as soon as he was weaned. And again, from what we know of culture that time and that, that day and age now, Samuel is probably around five years old. Can you imagine living that little boy growing up for five years and then the day came when you had to let him go? What? That seems cruel. She had made a commitment to God. Arriving at the house of God, Hannah greeted the attendant. And I bet she didn't stay too long. She probably said something like, here's this bundle of clothes. The moment of parting had come. Hannah gave the little boy one last hug, turned around and walked that lonely road home, leaving that child. Remember, Eli's sons were not good Christian men. They were corrupt. They were almost anything you can think of. They stole, they lied, they did everything. It was not a church you'd want to be a part of. Her words are an inspiration. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 28. Look at her words. I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And she paid her vow. 
Can you imagine, ladies, taking your child to a place that's not a very nice place to be? These guys were not the spiritual leaders they need to be. They were corrupt. Okay, Lord, you said to take him here. I don't get it. Why am I going to leave him in this place? Why can't we go to a good church? And God says, no, this is where he goes. Who can know the ways of God? God uses this woman's barrenness, her family conflicts, her headache, her heartaches, excuse me, to drive her to her knees. She sought God's will completely and by faith dedicated her little son to God. And God used that boy in a great way, if you follow his life throughout the Bible, to benefit not only there, but the entire nation. That's what God can do when we'll trust Him. Mothers, is your commitment to God's will like Hannah's? Are you consecrated to the Lord yourself? Are you willing to consecrate your children to the Lord? I don't know about that. My kids are already grown, but it never stops to pray a mother. Are you willing to dedicate your child knowing that he may take him away from you? Do you seek God's will for your child knowing that he may be called to serve perhaps on some foreign mission field across the world? I've often thought about missionaries. And I've shared before, I thank God God didn't call me to be a missionary. I don't know if I could do that. I remember a missionary friend of mine some years ago, him and his wife and family went over to the continent of Africa and he sent letters back. And one letter, I'll never forget, it said that we're over here, things are going good. The only problem is we're having to get used to our sons, I believe two sons, I believe is what it was, are living about 450 miles away from us. And I thought, I've got two sons. I don't know if I could do that. Thank God he didn't call me to be a missionary. But I know this. If he calls you to be a missionary, he'll give you the will and the way to do it. I couldn't do it. God didn't call me for that. But he does some people. Do you seek God's will for your child, knowing that he may call them to serve the Lord in some place, maybe some place that's dangerous in this world, to go and be a missionary and share Christ with the people there. A mission field far away. Is your love for God that strong? Is what the question. Not about your child. Is your love for God that strong that you could give them up and say, we'll pray for you? Is your love for your child that strong? God's will is not always easy, but God's will is always best. Mothers, is your life an example of sacrifice and dedication as was Hannah's. Samuel grew up in the house of Eli, which certainly was not a good influence upon him. Eli was lazy, lackadaisical, lenient in his beliefs. His sons were immoral, ungodly, and crude. But the example of godliness Samuel had seen in his mother carried him through the years. He grew up to become a wise and good leader for Israel and a man of God. Are you that kind of influence for your child? And children, 
Does your life speak well of the example of your mother? Augustine, the great church father and theologian of years gone by, had a mother that devoted her life to Christian upbringing and his conversion to Christ. In the early years, it appeared that her efforts had totally failed. Augustine lived carelessly. He flouted moral restraints. His, her efforts, had it seemed like they had totally failed. Augustine lived carelessly. But one day he was brought to his senses and remembered his praying mother praying for him. His mother praying and the Word of God open in his house all the time, even though he didn't pay attention to it. He was gloriously converted and became a champion for the faith, as you well know. Augustine, to this day, many centuries later, is still recognized as one of the greatest theologians that ever lived. There once was a young boy, a young lady, excuse me, who ignored the claims of Christ. She laughed at her mother's prayers and turned her back on her, mother, on her mother's God. She seemed to be headed for an eternity without God. There came a day, however, when she was moved to pen these words. I grieved my Lord from day to day. I scorned His love so full and free. And though I wandered far away, my mother's prayers have followed me. I'm coming home. I'm coming home to live my wasted life anew. My mother's prayers have followed me have followed me the whole world through. Some of you today had Christian mothers. Like I said at the first this message, if you had a Christian mother, you're blessed. The greatest thing you could do is if they're here this morning, walk over and hug their necks. Now, I don't have a mother here in this building, but I've got a lot of mamas in this building. And I know they pray for me. Even though we're not physically or genetically connected, I know I've got some moms. And the way I know that is when I mess up, most of them tell me. But I love them for it. But if your mom's here today, I would encourage you to go over and hug her neck. She may be on the other side of the room. If your mother's still alive, make a phone call this afternoon. Let them know the impact they had in your life. Perhaps your mother's already gone to be in heaven. She's there waiting for you. Do you intend to prepare for this final homecoming? Some of you might need to even receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just like your mama guides you as you're growing up. He knocks, he calls, but you must open that door. You're the only one that can open that door. Think back of what mom told you, taught you as a young man. I didn't have the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. My mother was a good lady, but she wasn't a Christian lady. One of the things that so drew me to Judy and her family. She had what I wanted. A Christian family. And God bless me. But oh, I wish I could go back and change some things. 
your mom's here this morning, let her know how much you love her. Or if there's a lady in this room that is your mom, not maybe biologically, but let her know how special they are. I look here and I see moms all over. And I guarantee you, if I messed up, they'd be the first ones to tell me, you need to chop that, you need to stop doing that. Because that's what moms do. And I see several of them scattered around. Don't leave this building without Jesus. You'll miss the greatest joys you've ever known. Let's stand together this morning. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. We thank you for the mothers that are here. Lord, we thank you for the influence they've had, not only on their families, but many families in this church over the years. We thank you for the privilege of knowing them. But Lord, we just ask you to continue to give us good Christian mothers. That's the only way we can turn the church around where it needs to be. Just like it was in Hannah's life. Because of her commitment, her dedication, her faithfulness, you were able to turn that nation back to God. Oh, God, we need some godly mothers. Lord, if there be any available, let them come out of this church and use them to make a difference in so many lives, in their instruction, in everything they do. Go with us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.